It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Ramsey and welcome to the Time Capsule. Uh, joining me this week for a second show in a row is Mr Andy McGowan. Good evening Andy. Hi Martin. Uh, usually as regular listeners will know I only have one guest because it's really a show about their recollections of the game in question uh, and we try and put those memories into some kind of context. However this match, this day, um, is probably the better way of describing it, is too big for just the two of us. So joining us as well is Mr Hartman himself, David Edgar. Welcome David. Good evening gentlemen. Uh, I'm honoured to be the, the third the, the third wheel in this burgeoning Andy Martin bromance here two weeks in a row. <laughs> but uh, I would totally agree that some some days are big enough um, to include someone else, and I definitely feel that this would be in that category. Uh, before we do the usual start to the show, guys, uh, I just want a simple yes or no answer to this question. At the end of last week's show, I trailed this episode by saying it's the most significant day in the modern history of Rangers. Was that fair or was it not? Andy first. I would say yes, absolutely. David? Yes. Good. We'll see if we still believe that at the end, but I think, I think it's a, a pretty simple question. Um, the news in May 1987 uh, was dominated by the speculation of a general election that would eventually happen in June of that year. This was, of course, very much in the midst of Thatcherism, widely hated and fervently opposed, as we all know. And because of such a reaction, she had a parliamentary majority slashed to a frankly embarrassing and minuscule 102 seats. Um, a couple of TV debuts around the time um, for Through the Keyhole and the US sitcom ALF um, as we said goodbye to Jossie's Giants, Saturday Superstore and The Tube. No! Oh, no! no, no. What a hat-trick! What a month! That's, that's awful! Three of my favourite well programmes ever! 
I know. Uh, as well as the, the, the sad death um, not long after this game of, of Fulton Mackay, who of course played Mr Mackay in Porridge and for years I thought was the guy who made the official introductions to the players at the Open Championship goal. <laughs> uh, um, I think you've kind of given the game away there, David, but any, any of your favourites in there? Um, as a kid, I remember the family getting together uh, to watch through the keyhole at 7 o'clock on a Friday night. And uh, that that was actually surprisingly popular at the time. I think it ran forever, though, didn't it? I think it was still on in various guises, like, 30 years later. There's something now, I didn't know at the time, but now knowing who David Frost is to and who he was uh, and all he'd achieved, you know, satirist, the interview with Nixon, that's an amazing man, top shagger as well. To, to then see him presenting a show where you basically go in and rummage around people's knickers drawers was, you know, I don't know who came up with that, but the, uh, I take it there's some good gear kicking about the 80s. Jossie's Giants is my childhood, uh, written by the late, great Sid Waddell. And uh, played by a bloke who I think would have been perfect for uh, any TV adaptation of Viz's Sid the Sexist, because um, he was a spitting image. But yep, yeah, I uh, loved loved that show. Um, yes, yeah, some some Corkin shows there. Sad news that Philip Mackay, um, who was just fabulous actor, but also probably at the time more well known to me as the lighthouse keeper in Fraggle Rock. Oh, indeed, good. Um, Platoon, uh, Crocodile Dundee, and Stand By Me were available at the cinema. My goodness. Um, and Bona was top of the pops um, alongside in the top ten. Now, how 1987 is this? Uh, the Smiths, Kim Wilde, Terence Trent Darby, and Five Star. Andy, any favourites in there? Well, my mother used to work as an usher in Los Angeles, so I used to get into all the films, even the 15s and 18s. Well, not the 18s, <laughs> but the 50s anyway. So I used to go and see them. Uh, that was how my young ferment uh, imagination was cultivated by watching films I should have been watching in the summer. <laughs> Scala was some, that's an earshot. There were um, three cinemas, La Scala 1, La Scala 2, and then across the road was a cinema called The Metropolis, which was later... The, the Regal. The Regal, the Regal. sorry, re- later turned into The Metropolis nightclub, um, scene of many a, a bit of banging tunes and finger-banging action in the early 90s. But uh, yeah, I, I remember going to the La Scala to see Crocodile Dundee. Actually, as as a kid, uh, so a bit of a shared experience there for us. I can't believe you get in for free. That's awesome. Yeah, right, that's awesome actually. And then she would come home with about four hundred pounds worth of chocolate for the kiosk, <laughs> <laughs> and then four wonder where I was a chubby child. <laughs> um, but that top ten is just brilliant. Kim Wilde, one of my very first crushes. Uh, just the most British pop star. Sex set that you can ever imagine. You know, the Americans, you've got Madonna, who's just, you know, pure Marilyn Monroe sex. And then you've got Kim Wilde, who looks like an attractive primary three teacher. <laughs> that's, that's very, very apt. Um, it would be a good football weekend for you, David. Bank holiday weekend, of course. Um, as Everton won the English title yes. on the bank holiday Monday evening. They did indeed, yes. Um, this was, I remember people asked me actually about Everton, why it was, and obviously the whole Gary Stevens, Trevor Stevens, all that stuff. But basically, when I was a kid growing up, really young, Rangers were awful, and everybody supported, like, Inca Winning supported Rangers in Liverpool. Remember those half and half hats? 
He used to yeah. get Andy, yeah. yeah. And you used to see loads yeah. of Rangers, Liverpool ones. And everybody fucking supported Liverpool. So just to be different, because obviously I was, you know, Rangers was kind of non-negotiable. Um, just to be different, I decided I would support Everton. And my uncle got me a kit when I was like six. Um, uh, I got this Everton kit. I used to get football kits in a box. <laughs> a big Umbro thing, and he'd drive in this, this box. And uh, so then, you know, I started cheering Everton and then just... Uh, young Edgar in the 80s was pretty good for football teams once once I started taking an interest because Everton and Rangers really began to began to turn around in that period but that was a really good Everton scene they had some cracking players Kevin Ratcliffe Kevin Sheedy um, Paul Bracewell Adrian Heath guys like that they were they were a really good football side liked a battle they were very Rangers they liked a battle but they could also play football when necessary so see, see that David this is going before Ayrshire references between those two. <laughs> Do you remember, remember Scotland played Wales in the qualifier, Ian Rush and all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, and they, and they were staying at Seymour Hydro, and uh, my dad took me down to meet them all. Um, I'm trying to think, it was, there was umpteen Everton players in there. Ratcliffe was what prompted my memory. There. He was a captain, I Ratcliffe. Vandenhow was another Everton player that was in that Wales team. It was a really good side. They beat Scotland at that game. Um, that's that's the campaign that David Cooper get, uh, scores a penalty at the end. But Wales really should have qualified. Did you know Russian Hughes up front? I mean, come on, that's you should be good. You should have a chance. But they had you know the guts of Everton's title winning defence in there because Neville Southall, of course, that's right. was his Welsh yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah. So there was, they were a, a really great team and they had kind of two or three years and, and still to this day though, um, Everton fans feel they were robbed of a European Cup because they feel they had a right good shot at it, but Liverpool uh, and Heysel kind of put paid to that, so there's, there's a fair bit of bitterness still lingers about that. But was Andy Gray ever the time that, that, that season, David? No, and, Andy Gray actually left after the first title winning season. Because yeah. they bought Gary Lineker from Leicester. I, so it was Lineker then that, that left, and then Everton won the league. That, and that's Barcelona right. And they left Barcelona, and then they won the league. Um, <laughs> I mean, Lineker was the striker in the 80s, really, um, but won very little. I think partly with Gary Lineker, one of the reasons for that, and it's interesting, said, the, the year he was at Everton, he, he scored 49 goals, yeah. right, which is... Astonishing, and, and he, then he has the World Cup in England. It's eighty five, eighty six, and they, uh, you know, he gets the six goals, golden boot, and he gets his move to to Barcelona. But I think he was a bit like Michael Owen, and I'm not sure that he was brilliant to have in your team. But I'm not sure that he was a team player, if that makes sense, because I don't think anyone could really play with him. And Everton had been so good, they did Sharp and Grey up front, but they decided they want a bit more mobility. And then they changed that, they bring in um, uh, Adrian Heath, gets fit again after a long layoff and plays off Graham Sharp, whereas Lineker couldn't play you know, really with another striker. So I do wonder if there was something, yeah. there's something in that, Martin, that he could bag you a lot of goals, but maybe the, reduce the effectiveness overall of the team. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about the Rangers, so let, let's go on with that. Um, penultimate game of the 86-87 season. Uh, you get two points for a win, of course. We are three ahead of Celtic. 
uh, with two games left. Um, we've got this difficult trip to Petodre, a place where we had an absolutely shocking record during the 80s. I think only two wins in 13 years before this. Conceded 40 goals in the process. I think scored about 11. Um, we'll get then a whole match um, in the final day of the season against the Scottish Cup final St Mern. So effectively we just needed a point because the goal difference was huge. I think there's a swing of about 14 goals was required. So it's one of those where if we got the point at Petodre, we effectively win the league, but it wouldn't be mathematically official. And we need them to drop points at home to Falkirk, which is the game they had that Saturday afternoon. So I, I just wonder, I'll go to you, Andy, because you're, you're slightly older than, than, than David and I. Um, was there any sense? Ah, sorry about that, I mean. Um, was there any sense of jeopardy here? I mean, on paper, as we, we look back 30 years later, it looks quite serene. Like, we're definitely going to get this point over two games. But when you've not won it for so long, if we get beaten, Celtic win, it's down to one point on the final game of the season. But were there any nerves, or was it just a case of it's going to be one of these days? Uh, as a 10 year old I couldn't really remember any nerves I just remember it was this juggernaut and this was coming to the completion of it where it started I don't know 8, 10 months earlier when soon as actually arrived so I can't remember anything but belief that we were going up that road to win the league and uh, the, the game itself was a, a kind of classic what I've learned now as I get, I've got older a classic league winning atmosphere where there's this anticipation expectation and that's just the electricity on the ground. So we all set up then, boys. No league title in nine years. A period that older bears, when I was growing up, used to describe as the bad old days and the worst that we'd ever get. Mm. Uh, dear me. Um, 5,000 tickets for the beach end, as normal. But 10,000 had reportedly been sold to bears all over the stadium. Uh, kind of expected total of between twelve and 15,000 expected to make the trip. A ten-year-old Andy McGowan had a ticket. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> how did it happen? Well, he was he was a convener in the bus even then. <laughs> <laughs> the youngest bus convener in history, uh, that's right. <laughs> Thirty years, man <laughs> and boy. <laughs> <laughs> how did you guarantee yourself a ticket by Andy McGowan? <laughs> anyway, uh, no, my dad takes the credit. So just to give a wee bit of context, I was I was obviously ten. I was the eleventh of July that year, and. Uh, Probably eight years old, my brain exploded with Rangers. Before then, I'd probably been more interested in Star Wars and stuff like that. But even so, my dad had always taken me to football, even when I wasn't particularly interested. And then, as as happens, you have this epiphany, and it just so happened. And around about 1985, when George Wallace started, uh, came back, sorry, I, I just I couldn't get enough of Rangers. I couldn't get enough of football. I couldn't get enough of playing football. It just exploded, and it was my life. And then I was blessed to have the arrival of Sunis right on that mark, basically. And David, you 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 know what I'm talking about. It was just the greatest time to be a kid. Oh God! Rangers yeah. unbelievable. Um, so I got a ticket because my dad was going home and away. I was going to most games with him, and uh, I actually. Knowing that I was coming on this pod, I asked my dad last week, I said to him, Dad, how did you get me a ticket for that game? Because my memory is that we went up in the bus with Stevenson District Supporters Club. The bus was full of capacity, but there was a fair percentage of guys on that bus that didn't have a ticket. Because all we up always was banter between guys that had tickets and didn't have tickets, saying, I'll give you this for your ticket, I'll give you that for your ticket, I'll do this for you, I'll do that for you. I remember sitting there saying, I got a ticket. But anyway, it's... Uh, 
it's something that uh, it's times went by I cherish because obviously you're with your dad it's a momentous historic occasion for Rangers that will never ever be forgotten um, so to answer your question dead simple <clears throat> we sent the voucher away and we got the away ticket and uh, it was just a luck of the draw yeah David what were you doing that day? I was going to see co-winning Rangers during the day and they were kicking their match off early so that everybody could go and listen to the game on the radio, which is very Ayrshire. And went up to watch the game and then came back. My dad wasn't leaving the house. He wasn't going because he was just going to sit and listen to the radio all day um, to make it go quicker, I suppose. But it was it was all anybody was talking about for days. You know, it was it dominated school it dominated where my dad worked you know the factory nearby it it, it was it, in the street it was all people would talk about and you were aware even as a child I think of the the momentousness of it and being at that junior football match that day and everybody's there you know Rangers strips on and talking about it and they're all going back to watch it they were all going to listen to it to watch it they were all going to you know their houses or to a mates or to the pub to listen to a game which must seem <laughs> so incredibly quaint to to younger listeners that people would go to a pub and sit with beers and listen to the radio and people would be shushed and told not to play the puggy but it was it, as Andy said as a kid this is sort of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory soonest was the golden ticket because Rangers from being kind of depressing also runs and constantly being middling which is what they'd, they'd been really since I'd been cognizant enough to start following it suddenly we're glamorous and we're huge and we're signing players and we've got Sunis and it was just another world it was like when Sunis arrived he just opened the door and said oh by the way out there there's all this that you haven't seen and it was different for the older guys and I understand that and it was different for my dad and my papa and my uncles but for me it just seemed like the culmination of what he had come to do. And when you then add in, you mentioned at the start of Aberdeen, at the, at this point, uh, the start of that season, I just thought Aberdeen were like Real Madrid, you know, because they just pumped us royally all the time. And to be going there, I just still still thought there's a fair chance we could get beat up there. Um, even as a kid, I, I was still like in a nervous Nelly type. And um, my dad would still say, Yo, Aberdeen, toughest game we've got. T- that's just tougher than Celtic. Aberdeen at Petaudry is the toughest game we have. So I just it was my first real experience of that sort of overwhelming, week-long, claustrophobic excitement slash tension. I mean, I was only six, um, and now as a 37-year-old atheist, I was actually in Blackpool on that bank holiday weekend on a church trip, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> my dad was furious, I think, that he was at the Pleasure Beach instead of the beach end. Um, but that, I, I don't I mean, I don't remember any build-up. I, I do remember um, something of the day, which I'll, I'll share near the end. And the relations with Aberdeen would, you know, would seriously sour 17 months later with the, the, the assault on, on Ian Durant. However, my understanding was that they'd been pretty bad since the late 70s and then with Willie Johnson. Um, was there any fear of trouble that day, especially with Rangers fans just everywhere? Uh, no, not in my memory, because 
It's unrecognisable. I, I, I often talk as if I'm old father time to younger bears and I say that me and my dad used to go up to Aberdeen quite regular and it was quite a big thing getting the bus up to Aberdeen hmm. and uh, a day out kind of thing and, and we used to go a walk up Union Street where we were scarves and straps going and they'd be back an eyelid uh, and it may have been because my dad was there with a child I don't know but I can never ever remember any majorly bad blood at that time there was um, there was a, a real uh, recognition at Aberdeen where well, they were the team to be, basically. They were the best team in Scotland uh, for, for a considerable period. But then you also had done United, you had Celtic as normal, you had Hearts at that time, nearly won a league, for God's sake. So, uh, but Aberdeen, uh, if we jump back to September of that season, David would beat um, Aberdeen at Ibrox, oh, remember, 2-0. Yeah. Yes, as soon as Leighton ran uh, after the ref. Bandy legged Leighton ran running <laughs> the goalie, uh, running to the ref to see it was not going to the line, but... That was a real turning point for us, but it remained that Aberdeen were one of the, the, the best teams and the benchmark. And the, the beat is that season, I remember. Um, so going to Aberdeen, going to Pataudry, it was a cauldron. But I can't remember being it's quite as venomous as it is now. Um, in fact, me and my dad used to take a ball and play for Aberdeen the beach before we played the games. It was crazy. The, the, the teams wouldn't run out. At the same time, Rangers were out first, and the noise is incredible. It was like a home game. Uh, Aberdeen would follow later. Um, Rangers team is Chris Woods and goal, Jimmy Nicol, Graham Roberts, Terry Butcher, Stuart Monroe, um, Dave McPherson, Ian Durant, Graham Soonis, David Cooper, and Robert Fleck, Ali McCoy up front, Jimmy Phillips, and Colin West on the bench. Um, Aberdeen lined up with Jim Leighton in goal, Stuart McKimmy, uh, Alex McLeish, Willie Miller, David Robertson, Brian Irvin, Gray, Bett, Joe Miller, Neil Simpson and John Hewitt, Brian Grant and Peter Weir on the bench. Um, first question, boys. Everyone is in blue socks for the first time I could recall. I don't remember seeing that before. Um, even Chris Woods has blue with his black shorts and you know, <laughs> yellow top. Um was there ever a reason for that? Did we ever find out why why that was? We wore Red Sox that season and yeah. uh, the referee claimed that it would lead to a clash with the Aberdeen strip. That's simple. That's simple. I don't remember... Did, did, we, did we wear them with the other games against Aberdeen? Because that, that game you talk about, Andy, that was my first ever game. I, I don't remember us wearing the, the Ibrox game when we beat them 2-0. No, I can't remember. No, we we wore our, our normal strip that day, but I believe that this was just one ref. I I just think it was one ref uh, saying, "No, you need to change to to other socks," um, because yeah. obviously you're not going to recognise somebody who's wearing blue and white going up against somebody who's wearing all red. It's it's just going to be impossible. Um, who knows? Back then, it could even have been oh, the people in black and white all struggle to tell the legs apart at an incident. You know, it's, it's a different era. True. Um, so the game itself, and Durant has an early effort from outside the box after a, a soon as free kick is headed clear by Brian Irvin, but it is pretty tame and Leighton isn't overly troubled. Very clear from the outset that this isn't going to be a football match for the purists. Um, I think the ball is the victim pretty much throughout the game. Um, and I don't think that famous Aberdeen breeze is helping the tension either. Um, Soonis is warned quite early for high feet in the middle of the park and it wouldn't be the last time he was involved like that um, Dave McPherson is robbed in the Aberdeen half by Jim Bett and then 
the Aberdeen attack progresses from there. Graham Roberts eventually blocks for a corner. From that corner, Brian Irvine gets a very good head on the, in the ball, but Chris Woods is equal to it. Andy, how important was he in what happened that season? I, mean, I think we had Woods pretty much at the peak of his career, I think. Which was a tall class goalie. When Woods came, uh, and you've got to remember the, the kind of relative quality we had before he arrived with Nicky Walker, basically seen before, I think, wasn't it, David? It was. And uh, so Nicky Walker was still there, but he was a reserve keeper. But Woods was just a cut off. And as soon as he, first of all, it looked like a male model, he was built like a male model. And uh, he was just class personified as a goalkeeper. And I remember him very, very quickly that season. The Rangers fans knew we'd get a real, a real goalkeeper here. He was England number two as well, so that kind of preceded him, um, that kind of reputation. But no, my, my memories of Woods that season is that he was immaculate. He was an all-round goalkeeper, cross ball saves, everything he could do. It. Um, he kind of tailed off in later seasons, but my memory of that season is uh, a golden boy, definitely. Yeah. Um, Sunas gets booked for a, a wild challenge and Brian Irvin in the halfway line that would be an absolute automatic red card these days. There's no complaint about it. Um, John Hewitt beats the offside trap and takes us by surprise after, shall we say, a lofted aerial pass from Alex McLeish. Um, but he kind of wastes a chance and we be eventually clear. It's all Aberdeen, really, but I guess that's much to be expected when we travelled up there, David. Absolutely, and not not a huge surprise uh, that they were they were they were dominant in that game because remember they didn't quite like this new dynamic. They weren't keen on it at all. They had been Scotland's premier team really for what since nineteen eighty, uh, you could argue. And yeah, Dundee United would win a league, and Celtic would win, I think, a couple. But overall, Aberdeen were the team to beat, and I, I don't think they liked this. I think that Aberdeen twigged what this meant long term before we did I think that's why Ferguson decides this year is the year he's going to he's gonna seriously entertain thoughts of leaving and buggers off I think that they had realised that this signalled something completely different because you're going to get Dundee United all of a good side or Celtic at the time could have a good side or Hearts but this money this spending, this total new direction wasn't something that they could just rely on getting you know, good scouting and signing good players and having a good manager, which up to then you kind of could do. You know, you just need to look at Dundee United. You get a good manager, he gets a good team, you've got a fair run at the title. We spoke about Everton at the start, that's how they won the league, because yeah. that, that was all you had to do back then. And Rangers sort of signalled, no, those days are coming to a close. And of course, Aberdeen, as we know, have never uh, have never come close again. But look at that team of of winners that they have that day these are guys who all have medals in their uh, in their collections already and they are not keen on not only us arriving as the new dominant force but doing it in their backyard the soonest thing you mentioned that tackle it's absolutely a straight red these days you know we talk about Paul Gascoigne would get too hyped for certain matches yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure soonest wasn't that day because it's right from the start, and I think Sunis was too hyped that day, more so even than he would have been as a as a player in inverted commas when he was at Liverpool. Say, I think that day, the enormity of it and what he was about to achieve hit him, and I think he was just too fired up that day. And 
Graham Souness, when he's fired up, is, shall we say, a somewhat aggressive individual. When he's maybe... Too, so? just, just a touch. And maybe when he's too fired up. And up against guys that would be his peers in the Scotland squad. You know, Miller, McLeish, these guys. So I can understand that there's a lot of ingredients there for quite a combustible situation. Yeah, the, dynamic, the, the dynamic that I see Martin as well was there was a massive swing we talked about that game in September when we beat them so Ferguson was still in charge of Aberdeen if I, if my yeah, was, was, yeah, yeah he left in October I think and, and, and so there was that and then the kind of a wheeling giant in Rangers as David says and I remember we used to think of them where's your fair get going where's your fair I pissed them off right and it was just as if we were saying like yous are finished we're, we're back here now uh, can I prove that way as well um, Graham Roberts, Chris was getting a bit of a, a tangle uh, under pressure, but again, thankfully nothing really comes of it. And uh, Dave McPherson is sent through into the box, but Brian Grant, the substitute, does very well to get the ball back. Um, boys, Dave McPherson, right winger. Um, discuss what on earth is he doing, playing in that position today? I have no memory of that whatsoever. <laughs> I remember it you know, vaguely. He, he, he absolutely is. Because Jimmy Nick's yeah, right yeah. back. Yeah, Jimmy Nick's right back. He's he's uh, on the on the right. We used this a few times in away games, and uh, I'm not quite sure of the thinking. And I suppose it must have worked because spoiler, we went in the league. But I wouldn't necessarily have ever looked at Dave McPherson, even young Dave McPherson, and say, "Oh, you can see the attributes that make you think that." But we have kind of now grown up where there's a real orthodoxy about four four two when it's played, which is, you know, you're holding midfielder, you're attacking midfielder, you're wide midfielder and you're winger. Um, I, I can see soon as saying Aberdeen are good on the flanks, which they were, they were very good. I'm going to put McPherson there to stop them coming down that side. Um, and I'll concentrate, that'll just let Durant and Cooper play and me and him We'll make sure the back door's locked. So I remember it at Tynecastle as well, taking place, Dave McPherson on the right wing. And I think it was just the the tactic of if a team had a... Because Hearts at the time played 4-3-3. Three, three, mm. And I do wonder if it was maybe just... Uh, I, wa- I, I want you there as a blocker. But you see the other side of that when he's put clean through... And he, you know that gif of the horse falling over the big ball? Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like, man. It's just identical. He's even got a huge mane of hair. <laughs> it's incredible here. Um, but from that, that failed attack, Brian Grant sends the ball into the midfield for Brian Irvin. And who else is waiting for him but our player manager? What can only be described really is a kind of karate kick, both feet off the ground. Um, again, it would be a straight red now with a five-game ban. It's, it's absolutely horrendous and, and soon as walks. He famously never sent off, of course, in his entire career in England and he made a big deal of that, I think, during this period because um, this would be, of course, his second red card of the season. Um, but I'm not sure any of the red cards up here were in any way debatable. Had he just lost a yard of pace by that time when he turned up the road, or was this a deliberate ploy? Hoggy and I did the famous 2-2 draw with Celtic in October 87, so just over a season since his arrival, and we've had 10 red cards in that time. Was this us making a metaphorical as well as a kind of physical stamp on the game here? Uh, Andy first, and then you, David. I, I don't think there's any doubt that 
Rangers were um, we were the big scalps and I think for the referees as well there was a bit of that there was a uh, if you remember there was referees there big personality referees I mean we think the referees are now bad <laughs> if you think back then you had think of Tom Hedge you had Syme who was quite good you had Waddle who was an absolute maniac you had McGinley who was okay I think who else was there kind of Val- Valentine, oh, Valentine and Hope Aye. Hope Aye, Davy Hope. Davy Hope. Aye, Davy Hope. Davy Hope. Two brothers, aye. But these guys were pure uh, theatrical drama queens. That I mean, Andrew Waddle was the worst. But who was the referee that day? Did you hear that? Your was, um, Jim, uh, Jim Duncan. Uh, yeah, I can't remember him. He was generally uh, He was from Motherwell because they used to give out the referees. Um, where they Where's were from, and, 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 and basically they used to say, you know, here's the referee, Jim Duncan of Motherwell, and it would come up yeah. on the wee Chiron on the screen, Jim Duncan, it did, uh, Motherwell. Jim Duncan was of course the referee at the the two two game in in October. Right, well, clearly just hated um, as the prick. They're all hell broke loose. David Symes, another one of course, um, who sent Sunis off uh, at Parkhead in the, the first game of the next season, and Sunis, as a, we Oggy and I mentioned in that. Uh, uh, podcast called him a big fucking poof um, after it um, but there, there, yeah there was something there Davey or was it just uh, as I said he just lost that yard of pace after leaving England but both change of focus as well um, you know he's he's not just playing now he's the manager and I think he saw himself as having to you know look after his boys when he was on the field as well and set an example there's a lot of different psychological pressures here it's a really interesting thing to ponder the change from being the leader of the team, which he'd always been through his career, and captain, of course, but to then be the manager as well and, and all that attendant stuff and be the mark man and be the guy that everybody wants to uh, wants to get involved with. I think there's also the old gunslinger thing as well, that he was very aware that people would try to make a name for themselves off of him. And I think being sinister, his attitude was, I'll get my retaliation in first. Um, it, it's a lunatic challenge for somebody on a yellow card. But also, I think what we do have to remember is, see being sent off in the first half in the 80s was just shocking. It was, it, it didn't happen. And I think there was an element of that in his decision making that, well, a referee's not going to send me off in the first half. Because stuff like that happened all the time back then. You know, you could get away with anything if you did it in the first 20 minutes. You could bring out a knife and carve your wife's initials <laughs> onto someone's back. If, if it read 18 minutes 36, you'd get a talking to. So there were, I hate to say there were different rules. I suppose Cammy would say that there's different interpretations of the rules. But Andy was spot on with Sunis' personality really just cast this huge shadow over Scottish football and there were a lot of there still are but there were a lot of um, uppity people in Scotland you know the whole Kent your feather attitude which was yeah. hugely displayed towards Sunnis and the referees at the time they were they were golf club secretaries you know they were rotary club members they were very officious they were very studious and I think they saw in him someone who was being cheeky to the teacher in front of class and that they knew they could make a huge impact with any decision against him. 
Over and above all of that, let's not kid ourselves here. He's committed two fucking assaults. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the readiest red card you'll ever see in your life. And the Rangers players, I mean, they surround uh, Jim Duncan, the referee. Uh, they're numerous and they're deciferous, reminding me very much of, of Ferguson's United back in the 90s. Um, but Andy, 12 minutes the first half remaining, obviously the whole of the second half to go, 10 men, the leader's gone. Well, one of the leaders, because that team was famously full of them now, but we're at this absolute bogey ground. Were you worried about getting the job done now? My recollections were that there was no sympathy for Sunnis at that point in time and there was a kind of feeling that he's fucked it for us. Um, I can remember that quite clearly actually because this guy's your hero, this guy's your saviour and then he's went and done that so early in the game against a really good Aberdeen team as we've established, a really good team even with 11 men against So, aye, the nerves just get put up a, a, a notch because... You're so close, you can taste it. We've waited so for, so long for this. Um, the older bears that were running about me obviously had a far greater context than I did as a young kid, but it was as if we've, we put this in jeopardy. What's going to happen? Um, so, I, it, it was a definite, um, I think, worries an understatement, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think there's interesting modern parallels here, if, if you'll forgive me for taking it down this route with maybe the attitude to people our age and older with someone like Morelos compared to maybe younger fans where the younger fans I think get surprised that we don't always instinctively just rally round regardless of whether or not the player deserved it or whether or not the player's behaviour is showing a pattern and I think that they get frustrated by that by He's one of ours, you just back him. Don't you know, don't mm-hmm. do this. Whereas as Andy says there, this is Sunis and he is beloved by the Rangers support, right? I mean, he is absolutely beloved. He is a god to us, even at this point. And yet, yes, that's the reaction. That was the reaction in my house from all my uncles, from my dad, from me. Um, when we spoke about it afterwards and everybody's camera, it's still the same thing. He needs to curb the, you know, he needs to stop that. He's got to screw the nut, as as we say in Scotland. It's maybe just an interesting divergence in how people view it. That I think back then, especially when we grew up, and what we were educated to was it's all about the team and the individual, no matter who he is and no matter how much we love him, if he fucks up or we feel he has, he is going to get told that we're not going to hide and we're not going to sugarcoat it and we're not going to pretend that it's due to other reasons. And I do think that's why when you see something like Ryan Jack, there's genuine levels of of affront among Ranger supporters because I think we are genuine in that if one of our players deserves it, I think, as I say, especially... They'll, they'll say, we will say, no, that was your fault. And I think that it's maybe something that's that's changed slightly. I, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. No, I think, I think that's fair enough. Um, the, the match rumbles on, of course, after that. Uh, Willie Miller blasts over from 35 yards, but no real danger for the Rangers. Um, it's his 32nd birthday that day. Now, my girlfriend's 32, 
Willie Miller does not look the same age. I mean, he look he almost looks like forty five pretty much throughout his career. I mean, I just can't even imagine him being a boy. I, he had to be born with a moustache. That's the thing. I think so. Willie Miller looked, as you say, forty five, uh, which was great for him because if you see him now, actually, he looks pretty good for his age because he's one of those people that because he always looked old. Now that he is old, but he looks the same as he did fifteen years ago. You go, oh, he's aging well. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's 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 that to him. I, I was intrigued by you saying, you know, he, Willie Miller with a shot. Willie Miller goals were rocking horse shit. Uh, I, I think he had sixty five caps for Scotland and one goal. <laughs> you know, he, he was not somebody that that scored a lot of, uh, a lot of goals. He, I don't think we can accurately convey to younger listeners because I'm not going to believe that the phrase I'm going to say it, but I am going to say it. Aberdeen genuinely had one of the best central defensive partnerships in Europe, and that yes, yes, laugh away, they did. Willie Miller and Alex McLeish were superb defenders, and I'm frightened by how much they would cost in today's market. Um, on 40 minutes then, David Cooper's blocked by Stuart McKimmy just on the, the, the edge of the box near the, the byline. Um, I guess we'll get some respite um, and a genuine opportunity. Cooper flights it over, Butcher beats everybody to it and utterly thunders in a header from close range. The noise is unbelievable. Um, Andy, you're at the other end of the ground. Did you have much a view of it? And what was that feeling like as it just erupted? I can't, I can't remember the goal. I can't remember it. But um, I do remember the celebrations because uh, it was pandemonium. And I remember it was pandemonium all round the ground. <laughs> it was as if all these, no even pockets, these large swathes or Rangers fans that were in Aberdeen ends just erupted. And uh, it was, to, to listeners that haven't got any concept about the beach end, was so the beach end is where the big stand is at Aberdeen. Ground. And it was like a, I don't know, David, how do you describe it? A big wooden shed, yeah. kind of thing, but it was big. It, it was, was huge. Big, it was like a big wooden air hanger with like aye. missing one wall. Ben, it, it was just. And a, it ben, yeah, benches. <laughs> I had benches, and uh, we, we had that whole thing, and it was massive. It was very, very kind of steep and tall. And, uh, to my young eyes, it was massive. That whole place with Valmy and, and the bodies lying about, it's just like any goal you get now, but you look back and you think, Christ almighty, how, how did I survive that kind of thing? Because um, it was such a momentous goal at such a, a, a point in time and murdering it to 10 men and, and uh, Aberdeen were kind of turning the screw a wee bit. On a personal level, Butcher was my hero. I, I used to play set half for the boys, but get to kind of stuff and I used to... I don't know if you remember, he used to roll his sleeves up, but he used to roll them up in a special way. He used to fold them mm. a fairly specific way. And I used to do that with my BB my <laughs> strip. And I used to wear Adidas boots and all this kind of stuff so I could be like Terry Butcher. So that was a, an epitome of a Terry Butcher goal. Just raw attacking power. Boom, straight in the back of the net. Nearly went through the net with a header. David, it's such an iconic goal. Yeah, the celebration still etched in my there's it's like a primal roar from him yeah um terrifying sight incidentally um we, we need i mean it is it's just this guttural explosion of emotion and i remember listening to it as i say the family and then the next thing i remember actually is being absolutely soaking in booze because 
every day and all my uncle's cans were getting flung all over the place and people are dancing and jumping up and down and singing and stuff and um maybe that's how i ended up the way i did but uh it was it was just and me being me the second after it had gone in i'm i'm the first you know back to the back to the radio just sitting there um waiting on right long time to go kind of thing and uh it was it's hard to explain how a goal that you hear can be more memorable than some that you've seen, but it was. And I still remember the, the, the commentary and the noise that you could hardly hear the commentators over over the cheering from the Rangers fan. And the commentator said, um, it's clear now there's far more than 5,000 Rangers fans in Petaudry today. And it it was just, you know, superb. And then when a big goal went in for a Rangers match back then against say Celtic or one like this that really mattered you would hear it in my street if you know what I mean because you would hear everybody in various houses shout at once so I remember that really and it was just remarkable but then as I say me being me I'm like right okay back I'm you know obviously a wee boy I'm not drunk they're all dancing and singing and having the time of their life whereas I'm you know, going, right, okay, you know, let's get to half time. And uh my dad's not a big drinker, so he's the same. He's he's basically trying to get my uncles off and we gave him peace so he can get back to listening to the game. But it was I think it was great that it was Butcher that got that because there's so many great, you know, narrative things if you want to look for. Soonest lets us down, he does, but soonest goes and the real on field leader of that team, even then steps forward because he had been the real on-field leader of that team and that was I think a, a great reward for that um, at a time when we, we all needed him to do it and he did You're saying that probably what every Rangers supporter I imagine was saying was look get to half time what we nearly do is it's injury time in the first half uh, and uh, Stuart McKimmy's turn to win a free kick when he and Stuart Monroe collide uh, just outside the Rangers box after a a nice ball from McLeish it's the kind of coming together that always favours the attacker I think Um, uh, and then Bears everywhere whistling um, for the half time whistle Jim Bett uh, flights in a brilliant ball takes Woods out of the equation Um, we Joe Dip um, Joe Miller somehow uh, does well to, to get a header um, back into the area from the back post and Brian Irvin legs somehow still working after Sunis's attention manages to hook it home um, 1-1 at half time some pretty poor defending Andy ah, it was a disappointment um, I, I, my recollection is it was as if it was coming despite the euphoria of the goal that half since Sunis went off I think Aberdeen were kinda the more dominant of the two teams but you're just glad to get that first, to get the goal in the first instance because you're doing it to 10 men. So the fact that these scores are still alive, we still only do that point. Um, so I disappoint, but you're alive in the game. Okay, um, Soonis does uh, some moving about at, um, at half-time, or Smith probably does it. Uh, Jimmy Phillips comes on for, for Robert Fleck to, I, I guess, bolster the midfield. Um, McCoy wins a free kick and, and Butcher's unlucky not to repeat the trick um, from Cooper's free kick, uh, but it's just too much of a strain to get any power and direction on it. Joe Miller then rattles the Rangers' post from a deflected shot from just outside the box as, as Aberdeen had this period of 
seemingly endless unchallenged possession. Uh, McLeish is a good effort from range that Woods does well to get behind. Both players then combine to give Aberdeen probably the best chance of the game. as a header from the edge of the box by McLeish. Um, from a corner, it finds Joe Miller unmarked, three yards out, but he, he can't divert his header goalwards. Um, we're kind of sitting in now to protect what we can, guys. At this time, we're 1-1. Celtic are at home to Falkirk and they're 1-1. Um, and then with four minutes left at Parkhead, Falkirk go 2-1 up. Um, it's the kind of comedy goal that I would grow up knowing uh, and loving um, at Parkhead. Uh, Pat Bonner is a disgrace, really. Um, he's just an absolute calamity. And the scorer is uh, a certain Jimmy Gilmer, who's the nephew of... Jimmy Johnson. Oh, right. Um, oh, so it was a nice little twist of fate. Um, I'm kind of so proud that neither me nor Andy knew that. <laughs> well, I thought it would be in the news uh, at the time. But um, minutes to go now. They're there to one down. Um, eventually, the final whistle goes there. Um, and as everyone did in the 80s and 90s, someone would have a tranny with them at football, and that's not a reference to the current Celtic manager but um, we'd, we knew we were safe in the knowledge now that, that even if we got beat even if Aberdeen nicked at a last minute winner it wouldn't make any difference we'd still be three points ahead with just one game to go we would be champions um, and the final whistle did blow Colin West ironically as soon as his first signing has the ball when the, the whistle that a generation of fans have waited for finally blew um, first things first then Andy where are you on the pitch and do you still have the goalposts? <laughs> the God's honest truth is I asked my dad and he wouldn't let me I said God's honest truth and because I was a good wee boy I did what my dad told me but when when they say you're talking about the, the radio transistor radios and stuff like that so that came through to us and it was pandemonium and uh, because it, you're basically there it didn't really matter what happened and uh, so the bears are immediately propelled into party mode and I just want that game finished so you can you can uh, do what you would do best, which is go in that part and wrap the place up. But I can't believe the sights I was seeing. I remember just being totally and utterly bewildered about what I was seeing when I booted me. There was there was grown men greeting. There was folk itching to go in that park. It was just I love the to the day I die. What happened when that when that final whistle blew? David mentioned guttural and. It primal. I mean, it, it's it's almost a decade of absolute frustration and just being released. Aye, it was. It was that's exactly what it was. It was relief. It was uh, a, a release. It was. It meant so much to so many that day, and it was a combination of such a whirlwind season. So basically, start that scene. It was as soon as pressed the button, says we are now the biggest club in Britain, and it was a kind of manifest destiny that we were going to win the league. But it was still beyond our dreams to do so quickly and in such a manner, because at some points that season, as we know, it wasn't always certain. It was it was in the balance that kind of outcome. But for it to harm and to beat Aberdeen at Pataudry, I'd not beat them, but to get a point at Aberdeen to win the league against them, I suppose, was something in itself. But uh, absolutely unbelievable. I remember uh, looking at my dad, and he's my dad's quite a cool character, right? But even he was kind of overtaking it. But those, the bills were going to. How was the, how was the trip home? How was leaving the ground? Did they just spill on for the rest of the night? So I remember we were in that ground for quite a while after it. So the the the, the pitch invasion started, 
and I, I generally said to my dad, can I go in there? He says, no, you cannot. And I just sat there and I watched it and I watched it. And then the, the crossbars are in two and obviously Aberdeen fans aren't too happy, so they're away. But the place was just devoured with Rangers fans. Eventually, uh, the place come back out. So I remember they, they kind of forced the, the, the pitch to clear, as you would do, because the team weren't come back out and we were saying we want the Rangers, we want the Rangers and all this kind of stuff. Eventually it got cleared and then out that wee tiny tunnel down the side, Sunis and Smith and other players come out and they're just, it's no like a wee jog. They are running on adrenaline, they're just it's, it's rocket fuel. <laughs> and then the Bears will come back on again. So um, the, the the memory I've got of going out, and, and this is the most vivid memories I've got of that whole day, I can remember people crying. I remember more than one person sitting crying with their head in their hands, just with sheer and utter joy. And the the, the last thing I'll, I'll say about leaving the ground is, you had to go over a hill. I say a hill, it was like a mini mountain. It's still there, obviously, but the Rangers fans were forced, hail rain or shine, to come out back of the beach end and walk up this grassy hill that was huge. And if it was blowing a gale, then you get blown to fucking, oh, it was terrible, and then you ended up in your bus soaking. So we're walking over that hill and everybody's jumping about and singing and dancing and there's this guy and he's in all fours and he's in the undergrowth. He can, all you can see is his arse and jeans. And we could him and my dad's like, you are right, mate? You are right? You are right? He turned round and he looked at us and he went, I have lost my fucking teeth. I'm 10 year old. I thought this was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I often wonder if that guy ever found his teeth. David, um, what were your memories of that night? I remember when the final whistle went and I I don't know if I was just too stupid or too nervous but when they all started dancing and saying that's it we've won now and I'm like no we haven't and they're like no no Celtic are getting beat and I'm like yeah but we still our game's still going on and they're trying to explain to me and then when it finally sunk in I was like well but if they score again and Celtic always score in the last minute so again I couldn't relax up until the announcement came and listening on the radio, you know, every Aberdeen attack sounded like they had three players oh, run, yeah, running through on goal uh, every time. So up until it happened, they, they're already celebrating and I could hear from you know the outside that so was Darren's Terrace. But then it happened and I remember everybody's you know, going mad. And my dad though, who like I say, soberest in the room, not a big drinker, he picked me up and just gave me a hug. And I started kind of beating on his shoulders, you know, we've won the league, we've won the league. And he's like, we have, we've won the league. And then just dancing up and down and uh, all my uncles coming over and, you know, ruffling my hair and, you know, hey, we've won the league. And that, and then wanting to get out to, to, you know, run it into the street. And then there's all my pals and we're all running about um, and a, a ball's produced. And then all the guys spill it. And then within about half an hour, all the women are bringing out plates of food, you know, pies and sandwiches and stuff. And I remember it's quite a grey day in Cowan and, um, and nobody cared. And uh, the houses are those kind of traditional, in my street, are those kind of traditional, you know, the, the four uh, flat buildings that you have. And everybody's got like a front garden. So all along the street, people are in front gardens and they're just walking from house to house, you know, and carryouts moving about and you know, you, you, it's going to sound really basket time, but you did, you know, you knew all your neighbours, they stayed there for years. Um, so 
it was just that and you know dancing and and singing and everybody was singing that night you know the, the there was no music it was just everybody was singing ranger songs and stuff and then eventually my mum came out to get me to tell me i had to come in and i went in and i you know was gonna complain but then she went oh sports scenes on soon sports scene wasn't on for another hour and a half she lied but <laughs> she used that time to make me go and take my bath and get ready but then when i came out she's like sports scene's gonna be on soon i sat down and made sure I had the video in and recorded it. Watched sports scene, then I had to go to my bed. But I was up the next morning at six o'clock. Couldn't sleep, and I got up and I watched it three times. Um, it was, it was. That's why I, I think it is so burned in my memory. The the highlights in particular, um, like Colin West has the ball as you said at the end, but has the the good grace to look suitably kind of sheepish about yeah. celebrating it whereas because he's hardly played whereas the rest of the team just go fucking tonto and then it showed you them coming out afterwards and again there just seemed to be thousands of Rangers but as soon as he's in the you know that grey and blue tracksuit we had remember Amazing. that and he still looked a bit kind of I think it would take yeah I think it would take him a couple of days to think about the whole season and not that afternoon I think you could see that he was still I don't know if sheepish is the right word. I don't know if Graham Souness does sheepish, but I think he was still replaying that afternoon in his head and hadn't quite moved on to the look what we did thing. And I think that's what the St Mirren game was then all about. Um, and that was essentially just a big party. Sometimes it would have been a, it would have been a personal disappointment to Souness because a big character, a big ego, I don't think he envisioned the culmination of his hard work in, in this championship win would have been him in the dressing room. Um, I think yeah, I think there'd have been a bit of a bash to his ego that the fact that he, mm. he nearly scuppered it. Um, interesting you mentioned that, that the recording it, David, and then watching it and watching it and watching it. I'm sure I did the same, but I definitely did the same with STV's, I don't know, half-hour, hour-long documentary that season, The Rangers Revolution. Yeah. I don't know if, if it came out on... The Sunday following it, or maybe it was the, the the next week, but that that was burnt, man. You know, my my video player, I think, was in smoke. The amount of times I watched that and the the full game of the eighty six Gold Cup final. The other um, one I remember is the next day when you know hangovers are being had in the street and stuff, and everybody's just calming down a bit. I remember sports scene five o'clock. Eh, sorry, Scott Sport five o'clock. Yeah. Sports scene was the Saturday night. They had the Celtic game. And I remember all my kind of, what I now know is, you know, my uncles who are all having a curer, um, sitting, just laughing uproariously at Pat Bonner. Um, and I remember them showing streams of people leaving Celtic Park at that point. And that almost just made it sweeter, you know, <laughs> to, to then, you had to wait to see that highlight, but that just added to it. And then the video went back on and we watched it for the umpteenth time. It, it was it was wonderful. Do you remember the, the, the single that came out, Championi? Yes, yes, yeah, love that. The, the Premier League featuring Billy Rankin. Fuck me, I think I must have played that about 3,000 times and repeat. It, it was blue, it? Oh, it was uh, brilliant. It was a picture of Sunus in front of the gates. Uh, uh, it, it was a blue cover, a 7-inch single, picture of Sunus. Um, on that uh, overlaid on this blue background and the gates, yeah. uh, and the 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 championies. Not the most complicated song in the world, you have to say. Oh, but fantastic! I, I loved it. Well, yeah, I I I was a big fan of the lyrics, and then you know that then it, this is also something. It, it 
a, the build-up began to the St Mirren game because in a way it was almost as much a part of it that you know we were going to that and a lot of Bears were going to that obviously that, that quite clearly couldn't have been at Pataudry so it became a yeah it was almost like we're getting ready for a party and I remember it having quite a big build up as well even though obviously it was settled but I'd never seen Rangers waving the league trophy and I'd heard about celebrations when you won the league and um, it it became the next focus almost it wasn't like we've won the league and everybody relaxed it was, there was still not so much for the game nobody really cared we won 1-0 Robert Flex goes early but it wasn't about that it was about this communal experience of everybody is now going to get their chance to go along and and enjoy this, and it, it, it almost I see it as almost an addendum to this game, if you like. Yeah, but it was more than that, David. There was a sense that this was just the beginning. It was as if an empire was about to be born. Yeah, we'll it was just that, the fact that yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Just, just quickly, my my only. Recollection that day, it really is the only thing I, I, I do remember. Um, is my dad using a payphone, um, probably around six o'clock, um, to call home. Not in a, a not in a phone box. It was attached to the wall. That kind of perspex hood over the top yes. or whatever. Um, in the pleasure beach somewhere. I, I think we might have been swimming or, or something like that. Um, I remember him saying Celtic get beat, and he just he turned around to me, maybe some of his pals, um. But he, he looked right into my eyes and he, he, he raised his fist the way that Sunnis did up to the main stand at Hamden after we'd won the Skull Cup. Yes. Just that, that kind of clenched fist. Um, and this was his generation's moment more than mine, yeah. obviously. But it gave birth to everything that, that we were lucky enough to, to indulge in um, in the decade that followed. Arthur McPherson was also the, the commentator on the day for sports scene. Uh, and after it, he chose three people to interview. Terry Butcher, Graham Sunnis, David Holmes. Um not to get sacrilegious, but that, that, that really was our holy trinity that season, no? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's good that David Holmes, who Murray, I think, quite deliberately and shamelessly airbrushed from history, getting yeah. his due. And I hope that people go back and appreciate what he did for Rangers. And this was his revolution. And it, it wasn't something that was universally popular in the boardroom at Ibrox. You know, it, it took him... And he said himself that people were waiting for him, or waiting for it to fail. And yeah, he to me he just see I'm a kid. He he just seemed like you know another granddad, and you know somebody that you got this kind of warm protective feeling from that he was gonna look after us. Then you had Sunis, uh, firebrand hero, just cool as fuck, and then you had Butcher who probably still epitomises to me what a Rangers captain should be when we talk about it in modern times. I'm probably spoiled because I look back and think Rangers captains should be Terry Butcher, Richard Goff. No, I think that's that's uh, that's fair enough. Um, the, the game itself, Andy, it, it wasn't the cliffhanger, right? It wasn't the cliffhanger really that the, the, the game against Aberdeen 91 would be with the whole... Mm-hmm. Nine was in jeopardy, really. Not that we knew at the time um, if, if we'd lost that. Um, but you know, it was either going to happen that day or the following Saturday. But it, 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 not so much a time capsule episode to to look back on a, a 
a glorious game of football because it absolutely wasn't, but it was what that day signified more than anything else. Ah, it was momentous, absolutely momentous. Um, it, it takes us back to what you said at the start of the programme, about it being a, a single most important event in modern Rangers history. Um, I, I'm I'm really, really privileged, right, that I was there. I didn't appreciate I didn't appreciate it for a long, long time, but the older you get, the more you think, Christ, that was there, that is really something, because it wasn't, a, it wasn't easy to get a ticket for there. So I, that, that winds a salute to my dad. Uh, we can all echo that. Um, what next then? Um, did you feel at the time? You know, we, we're here for keeps. Um, in terms of nine in a row, I don't think we. I don't remember that ever being mentioned until '93, when my dad did let me run on the park at uh, Broomfield, Andy. By the way, um, terrible. I know it's disgraceful. Um, but there's an editorial in the Evening Times. Uh, I think it might be Alan Davidson. I'm not, not entirely sure. Um, on the the. The Monday after, he said, uh, right now, any bookmaker prepared to offer any kind of odds against them retaining their championship is entitled to qualify as a philanthropist. Rangers are firmly back in the driving seat of the game, and it might be no exaggeration to say that Scottish football could be in for a spell of one-club domination, similar to that enjoyed by Celtic under the late John Edgeoxstein. Was there, I mean, you, you touched on it a minute ago, that, that, that clear sense that this is just the start and we're going to be here for as long as we can see. Aye, aye. I mean, you're talking about Holmes. Holmes was softly spoken, but very, very reassuring. Uh, there was a clear vision for the club. There was a clear um, conviction that this, this was the way it was going to be. It wasn't a, a one-off. There was going to be further investment. There was no way that there was going to be anything else but that was soon as it him because he was just so driven, all-consumed, uh, 100% winner. And he'd be surrounded, trying to surround himself with like-minded players. So, to my mind back then, I remember that um, it was just tunnel vision, Davey, wasn't it? It was just a case of that we are back, we're staying here, and in fact, it's going to get better and better. Didn't quite work out that way for next season, right enough. But um, I think the next season is a, a salutary tale to all bears that lose the heat. Yes, exactly. Um, when I was a kid, my memories of it mostly are about how I felt rather than how I thought quite often um, they're more vivid to me I just felt that Rangers were different that we were better and that's not just you know comedy arrogance or that I'm I'm trying to say oh yeah because we're Rangers we'd been pish I was used to as being pish I was used to as not competing for, for trophies and within a year we've attained in my mind this sort of almost regal status that Liverpool had in England and that Manchester United would later have and it was nothing can stop us you know the other teams can't Um, they all suddenly seemed very old and very old fashioned yeah they seemed like they belonged to a different generation they didn't seem like we were, we were all about the future, and we were all about what we were gonna do, and we were gonna do innovative things, and we were gonna sign the top players, and we were going to, you know, go for it in Europe, and and I just couldn't see how any team could live with us moving forward. Now, okay, the next year, bit of a false start, we get that. We've spoken about this on the show, Martin. It's a transitional year. Soon as I think about halfway through, realizes that news is that. But then the sort of almost serene confidence and knowledge that we were the best kicks in. 
and for 15 years, it's true, then, you know, there's been the slide and to, to where we are and then the uptick again to take us to where we are now. But it was just this feeling and it came not just from my wee boy heart, it came from people I trusted growing up. It came from the guys on the telly um, who I didn't know at the time were all cunts, although I always got an iffy vibe off that Ian Archer. But <laughs> I, it, everywhere you looked, Rangers just seemed modern. Rangers just seemed geared for the 21st century and the rest of the teams seemed stuck in where they were. And it would prove to be correct for a while. But at yeah. that point, no, Rangers Rangers were on another level. We'd moved there. And the thing was, I felt that we'd pulled, as we'd climbed up, we'd pulled the ladder up with us. Anything was possible. We were talking quite openly. We threw an ounce of self-consciousness about winning the European Cup. And, uh, I mean, that's quite sobering now when you, when you think back. But nah, anything, was, anything was possible and there was excitement in that unknown. Yep, that's true. Um, any younger bears listening, you will have this day of your own sometime, that, that sheer guttural roar of relief and joy. And if it's at Pitodja again, it won't just be the goalposts that go, there will not be a seat left in the stadium. Thank you, boys. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh, oh certainly. Yep, loved it, mate. Thank you. Uh, next week, young Stuart McCall will be joining me to talk about a day where Rangers won at Parkhead for the first time in five years. Imagine going that long without a win there, eh? Uh, until next time, bye for now. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.